Well, hi, and welcome to this, which is our sixth uh, free webinar in the 2016 uh, Smart Building Series, uh, which is kindly sponsored by uh, Tridium. So a big thank you to them. Uh, and I hope you can uh, see the first slide. Um, and obviously, uh, today we're talking about Smart Buildings, uh, Better Experiences. And it's a Q&A with, with Bruce, who's Director of Meld Strategies. Hi, Bruce. Hello, Jim. How are you going? Good. How are you? Uh, not too bad. I'm uh, sitting here tonight in a uh, hotel room in a very cold part of the world in Canberra. Ah, okay. So, there you go. I thought it would be, uh, well, it's, it's winter, isn't it, for you guys now? It is, yes. Yeah. It was minus three degrees here this morning. So. Ah, that, okay. Right, well, I guess a, a great starting point would be um, for you to sort of give a little introduction about about yourself, what you know, your background, and also what you're doing with Meld at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is uh, Bruce Dysart, and I guess my background is a little bit unusual in terms of uh, a technology person, if you can call me that. But um, basically, uh, uh, my background is I'm an architect by training. But the last 25 plus years, I've sort of specialised in technology through one way or another, sort of segued via uh, computer design initially. Um, and I worked with a very large property developer uh, here in Australia for 16 years, which kind of exposed me to every single possible building type you could possibly imagine, commercial office buildings, high-end residential apartment buildings, master plan communities, uh, all sorts of different uh, property developments. Um, and uh, I've worked in sort of um, pretty serious IT roles, um, uh, evolved over time and, and, and so forth. And that sort of, I guess, exercises the side of my brain, understanding technology, but also the design and development process. And then uh, I headed up uh, an area of, uh, of the company called, um, I was the head of technology and property, um, and worked with the property developers and design professionals to get technology into property developments. And um, three and a half years ago, I set up a consulting practice called Meld Strategies, and that's what I do now full-time, is working with property developers in creating uh, smart buildings, smart precincts, smart cities, and smart things, as we say, and looking at the value proposition of technology and how can we add value to a property development through the use of uh, technology. So what is a typical project for you at the moment, would you say? Uh, a typical project, uh, well, where I have been today is working on a uh, university campus development, which is a precinct-type project. Um, and there's a big redevelopment going on there now, and so we're looking at, at a precinct level. What can we do to improve the, the, the precinct and consider all the various technologies that are happening in public realm locations, so things like um, digital wayfinding and media facades and mobile applications and you know, technology user experience and safety and security and things like that, but then also considering what goes on inside the buildings to be able to measure them more effectively and understand their performance environmentally, their understanding of their use of power and water and uh, and things like that, environmental impact. So we basically look at technology holistically and say how can we add value to that. So that's, a, I guess, a, a nice cross-section example of what I've been working on uh, literally today. <laughs> okay. One thing I didn't mention to everybody listening, if um, you do have any questions, uh, please type them in. Uh, it could be anything, uh, either for Bruce or for myself. Um, I'll I get them here, and then um, I can uh, I can ask, uh, put them to Bruce. And we, what we're going to do today is really just cover, um, and look uh, and ask Bruce some, some questions about about his view on technology and how that applies to commercial buildings. 
Um, so please, we'd really value your input. So uh, yeah, send any any questions across. Um, I guess I wanted to kick things off um, and really ask you about what you see is wrong with the way that we are, or what let's say is wrong, but what, how could we improve the way that we design buildings, yeah. commercial buildings? Yeah. Well, I guess the, the the property industry has been designing buildings more or less the same way for quite some time. I mean, like you know, the last few decades have seen pretty similar recurring themes um, around uh, around buildings in terms of the of the process that's been occurring, um, and there has been very little time, or I guess we say, there's a, as anyone who's working on a commercial um, project would understand, there's a very compressed time frame in which to innovate in. And it's very difficult to actually introduce new ways of doing things, new technologies and so forth, even down to the types of systems or you know, facade systems, etc. It's, it's a very compressed time frame that new design solutions have. But when you're talking about a developing a smart building, uh, it's a very holistic process that actually impacts on a whole range of different consultants, so electrical, mechanical, hydraulic, fire, lift, etc. Each of these disciplines will use technology in a certain way, but when you're creating a smart building, these various different engineering disciplines have to more closely talk to each other, they have to communicate over a, a common IP backbone, um, ideally, you're trying to get data and information out of these various different systems that requires a lot of coordination and forward planning and, and so forth. And I guess if you go about trying to do this without affording yourself the time, it's extraordinarily difficult to do this. So key issue really is a, is a time to, uh, to, to innovate. Uh, that's the first one. Um, the second one I would say is a lot of clients are actually unaware of what actually is possible these days to do with technology and what are the features you can actually add into a building to you know, improve its performance, its environmental performance or improve the user experience, uh, even that user experience might from a building manager's perspective or a tenant's perspective or a visitor's perspective, etc. Um, and that's also another thing as well. And the third one um, I would say really is in relation to just understanding the cost of all of this and I guess traditionally if you go about pricing a building which tends to be its commercial feasibility in the first stage, you come up with a cost plan or you know an estimate of how much it's going to cost but if that's a, a revision mirror based upon the last five projects that had no innovation or no technology in there, then it's going to be very challenging trying to innovate and introduce new technologies and systems and processes without a cost plan in place that actually reflects an ability to be able to to, to do that. So there's three key things, I guess, that, that need to be um, addressed moving forward. And I guess that's quite common, right? When you're designing a building, let's say, from the, the architect or the engineer, they will take something off the shelf in a sense, right? They'll go back and look at a project that they've done and say, okay, well, this is the template we can use. And we'll just apply that to yes. this new building. That's right. And, and it may be driven by some things. So, for example, in the UK, you've got BRIAM, or in the US and Europe, you've got LEED, in Australia, you know, GreenStar. And they might be some of the commonalities in terms of drivers and sort of going, oh, yes, we understand how to, to do that. But it doesn't necessarily follow that they've innovated in other areas in terms of creating a, um, you know, a common you know, uh, backbone, IP backbone, where all building services can communicate over one structured, you know, network, for example. Mm. So yeah, it does require a fair amount of, um, you know, consideration and coordination to achieve a, a, a differentiating outcome. And do you think, I mean, as a, 
let's say you know if you if you imagined yourself as a property developer or somebody who is wanting to build a smart building um where should technology because i get a sense that technology isn't thought about early enough in the design process and that's one of the the, the problems how yes, how can right. you how can you make that happen how can you um bake the technology in at an early stage yeah well i mean where we like to, to work on is is getting there obviously as early as possible and ideally it's really a, a strategic piece that begins at the start and saying really you know what is possible um, what problem are you trying to solve because I, I hate doing technology for technology's sake because quite often if you, if you go down that path it comes across as that there's no sort of strategic intent as to why you would do that but that's why it needs to be driven from something which really says, okay, why we, why, what do we have to achieve? Is it you know, improving safety? Is improving um, energy efficiency? Is improving spatial efficiency? You know, what problem are we trying to solve here? Yeah, and I think the early in, into the, the, the picture of the development to help influence what those project objectives are, which in turn will inform the designs that other developers have to follow, uh, other consultants have to follow, the, the better. So we, we do a piece of work around that to help uh, um, clients actually understand A, what's possible with technology, but B, also turning that into a, uh, a technology development brief that helps to inform the other designers what is it that they, we want them to actually achieve. Hmm. And I wanted to just pull up this next slide, uh, and it's actually your book, right? So you recently published a book called Smarter Buildings, Better Experiences. I put the link there, um, and this talks about, um, describe the book. I mean, I've read it. It's a very interesting read. Well designed, by the way, as well. Yep. I can see oh, your, your <laughs> architecture. Um, coming uh, through. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, after all my time, you know, spending working in a property development company, and, and you know, I was like, I thought, well, get this down on paper, because I might not have that time again starting for own business. So. Basically, the book is in three parts. The, the, the first part of the book really is looking at the big picture of technology in the industry. So what are all the, the, the key themes that are going on out there that really are influencing uh, technology um, and, and its influence upon the property industry? So, um, you know, and, and so therefore, these recurring themes that are happening, things like the Internet of Things and the importance of social media and, and uh, high-speed internet, and what are all these influences actually doing, and why, therefore, do our buildings have to respond to that? So, and, and also, what do we mean by a smart building as it applies to, say, a hotel or a commercial office building or a smart home or, a, you know, etc.? So, helping people understand the topic in general and, and what it's all about. The second part of the of the uh, of the book is all about understanding some fundamental principles. So, in my time, I've had to explain to every single stakeholder you could possibly imagine: you know, CEOs, project directors, project managers, developers, consultants, subcontractors—all these kind of fundamental principles around technology. Um, you know, explaining to a lawyer that IP does not mean intellectual property, it actually means something to do with the network, for example, uh, but all these kind of fundamental concepts that people need to know and understand, uh, open systems, open data, etc., in order to move forward. So unless you can begin to understand the language and fundamental technology concepts, you know, it can be quite difficult for people to try and get their head around some new, new things. 
And the third part of it is, is our methodology that we go through to explain this process of how do you create a smart building or a smart precinct and so forth and guiding people through these the stages of um, strategy, design and implementation and what are the necessary steps that you need to undertake in order to successfully deliver a, uh, a smart building. Mm. So that's, a, that's the premise of the book and um, sort of written in a style that's non-confronting. You've seen it now, Jim. So. Yeah. Hopefully that's the case, and uh, just help people to feel more comfortable with these new concepts around technology and where the industry is is heading, and how one could sort of more easily begin to um, apply them. You, you picked up on something interesting there. I just wanted to follow that up a little bit, where yeah. you said about technology for technology's sake, right? I totally agree with yeah. that. There has to be obviously an overarching reason for doing this. So, what are the incentives for building owners and operators to use technology and and also you know I guess when you're when you're designing a building I mean and this could be new new construction or retrofit there's different these different stakeholders have different agendas right so the contractor the architect the facilities manager they, they're all they're all trying to fight over their bit of the project or have their bring their yes. agenda how how yes. can we how can you get to uh, you know get everyone to think about technology in the same way. Yeah, well that, that's where the strategy piece comes into play here. Um, and of course, ask anybody what do you think technology will bring to a particular project and given the, 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 the broad range of stakeholders that are there, of course you're going to get different answers, right? Because everybody is looking for the answer that is what's in it for me, right? I'm taking this from the perspective of an investor or a developer or I've got to design a certain way or ask me to build this thing. It's like, well, what do I get out of it? Can I understand it? What's, you know, what's going on here? Right? So understanding there's different perspectives as a part of the process to mediating between them is kind of a sweet spot of going, well, what is the right answer for this particular building? And your answer will vary according whether it's a residential development or it's a commercial office or it's a hospital or et cetera. Now, various different value propositions and getting the right answer to that is, is, is critical. Um, but I would divide the things that you can do between um, really you know, competitive necessity, which is you know, you've just you've got to do it, otherwise you're, gonna, you know, you're not going to achieve in a certain gram rating or a certain green star rating or a certain lead rating, um, or you know, you've got to have high-speed communications, you've got to have a DAS network, etc. So it's all competitive necessity. Unless you do it, you're going to be falling short. And the other one is really competitive differentiation. So quite often you know, developers saying, well, we, yes, understand what everyone else is doing, but we want to do something else that differentiates this development and does something is, is market leading or is great in this particular area, um, etc. So it's a balance between actually getting stuff done competently um, and also doing stuff you know different you know from a differentiating perspective. But if you just focus on the differentiating perspective, you, you'll get found out if you've left out the fundamentals and you haven't addressed the the, the, the absolutely fundamental aspects of a you know of a good building design. And and who. Who, is, who leads this in the project, right? Because one of the things that we, you know, in the research that we do is we see that the technology is siloed, basically, right? So you get the electrical contract or the mechanical contract. Someone's responsible for the climate part of it, you know, the heating and ventilation, air conditioning. Someone's responsible for the security. Someone's responsible for the lighting. There doesn't seem to be, yet a, you know, the incentive to join these things together. How, how, no. can, how can that happen? How, what, what is the... 
do we need a, a new like a some kind of new integrator, a super integrator to bring these things together? Yes, <laughs> and uh, and this is where it's happening in our wonderful world of yet another new role being invented. But we mm. we, we all knew that was coming, right? Um, is there's an emerging role, a master systems integrator, mm. and um, you know basically that's the sort of role that we would you know our our company would would perform. But because we understand a little bit of really what everyone is doing, we're able to coordinate all that. So. Because of our experience and understanding, you know, uh, design language and design intent, but also understanding technically what it is that the electrical, hydraulic, mechanical consultants are trying to achieve, we understand, you know, to describe to them what it is they need to do in order to, for example, align their standards in a certain way to make sure that you know what's inputs and outputs from various different systems actually work and coordinate together and so forth. So, the role is one we're describing as a master systems integrator, and this is just one of a number of different new roles and we I describe all this in the book as well so right. some other new roles that are emerging in the industry for example is a you know the complements this is a network systems integrator so there are now increasingly a lot of networks that exist in buildings and you need someone who is a competent IT professional for example to design and build a structured IP network or called a integrated communications network or a building automation systems network, um, digital antenna systems for mobile you know, uh, networks and buildings, uh, Wi-Fi networks, etc. So there's a lot of increasingly IT capabilities in there. You need a proper network systems integrator. You're, typically your electrical consultant can't do that, right? Yes, they can do the structured cabling, but in terms of active network designs, they, they can't do that. So, and you look through property development, there's a whole range of new roles that are coming out, like placemaking specialists and social analysts, etc. So I guess it's this new world we're going into where people are having to go about things you know, in, in, in new ways, therefore there are new skill sets that are actually you know, required to do this. Mm. I wanted to just ask you about your opinion on specific, some specific technologies and how you think they're affecting you know, building technology. Uh, one would be flood wiring of IP. Um, are you seeing that happening more in new buildings? Flood wiring. So where when they, when they're actually when they're actually building the building, like putting yes, putting IP everywhere essentially. Um, oh, okay, right, right, right. Yeah. Yes. So a classic example of that I've seen is like in hospitals, right, where they they're putting huge amounts of cabling and I worked on a project once you know for a massive you know almost a billion dollar type of you know hospital thing there and the, and the, the joke was in that particular project that the cabling is actually holding up the building right <laughs> when it came to the crunch they realized in fact they couldn't even activate all of these network ports because there just simply wasn't the capacity a to put the network switches in but b even to be able to afford to you know cool the spaces or you know so you, Look at a situation where only one in you know, three network ports in rooms could actually be active because basically, because there was no proper network design, because there was no sort of structural engineering, they just thought their way of future proofing was just to flood cables right. absolutely everywhere, yeah. but not off the back of a proper network design that says, well, What do we need this network for? Right? Okay. So, A, you know, get your brief right. B, use a network systems integrator can properly design these things. Otherwise, you'll end up in that situation that you just described. Yeah, and it's a waste. Yeah, okay. Uh, next, up to see some, and something we've written a lot about, Internet of Things. Like, how do you yes. see this affecting technology and buildings? 
Oh, well, I, I think it's going to play an enormous role, and of course, these things all get hyped up, and you know, people give them different names, like the Internet of Everything. But you know, at the end of the day, it all comes back to a fundamental principle that was, you know, just a concept that was conceived by Kevin Ashton in you know 1999, that basically says, you know, that there's almost any device is capable of being connected up to the internet and we know this because of Moore's law is driving things down and then the cost of these um, sensors and communicating devices is coming less and less so um, what that provides us the capability to do is, is connect up all sorts of uh, objects which would normally wouldn't be connected so now for example you can find uh, fire hydrants in buildings that can be connected with chips and sensors that can tell us whether in fact the fire hydrant is on its hook and it's got an active charge in it and, and things like that as well. Um, and that is going to become more and more prevalent as more and more different objects have communication capabilities. The big challenge of course that's going to put on infrastructures is A, designing common networks in order to communicate with these devices but also coming up with the standards that can be common across all of these different various Internet of Things devices. Um, because there's a whole bunch of different standards and protocols that are being used, right? We're, we're at this very interesting stage, which I call the divergent stage, right? So the number of options is broadening out broader and broader and broader, and the market hasn't narrowed down yet to decide which are the winners out of all this bunch of new emerging technologies and systems and protocols yet. So eventually it happens as a cycle in, in all technologies. Um, but I think it's going to be enormously influential about the way we think about designing buildings and getting better feedback loops in terms of the way that buildings actually perform because we can right. now sense a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, about I, wanted, like I wanted to, uh, this is sort of a question I had for later about, about that. Um, something, we had a couple of questions here from the floor. Uh, one sort of ties into this. Um, asking about where do you think these kind of this master systems integrators um, that are going to, you know, promote this integration of technology and IoT. Yeah. Uh, where do you think they will come from? And I, I guess it's sort of asking you, you know, your opinion and what tech, what you know, what about? Yeah, exactly. What background? Yes, it's 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 interesting because I've been sort of watching this sort of space and cells, and you know, eventually having to step up to the mark because there was no people naturally arrive at the surface. So, okay, I can give you observations. So, there's on one corner, you've got the IT industry looking over the fence at all these other guys going, oh, you guys are just idiots, you don't know what you're doing and, you know, how hard could it possibly be? But they understand IT, but they don't understand the nuances of mechanical design and electrical design and hydraulics and lifts and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, moving parts and history there, right? So, um, that's, that's difficult. Then you look amongst the other um, engineering services and you go, well, who's going to ride to the surface here? Mechanical, electrical, you know, okay, well, there's a lot of skills in the mechanical area, definitely, simply because they've been involved in a lot of integration and uh, there's also been control systems integrators that are out there as well and they specialise in integrating different systems together. So there's a possibility that those people that are in those backgrounds, mechanical and, and controls integration, can help definitely in coordinating things. and. At the end of the day, it'll be a quite a, you know, a standards-based approach that one needs to be taking with this, which is a mix of IT, a mix of, of you know, services engineering design, um, and really an ability to understand you know, design intended and be able to interpret that in a different thing. So 
it's uh, it's a bit of an evolving space. There's no clear thing, uh, yeah. it's, and even hard for me to sort of you know recruit and find people out of university degrees. There don't don't seem to be any real real sort of natural university degrees right now yeah. that are addressing the skill set required to to do this. Yeah, I can imagine. Do do you think there are any major roadblocks in terms of the way that the the industry is set up at the moment. I mean, it, wh- where do you see the resistance coming from? You know about this, about putting more technology into buildings. I think a lot of people have had some bad experiences in the past. I think that you know sometimes you hear the oh I tried that once it didn't work. You know, oh, you know it's extraordinarily difficult to to integrate things together. Or the assumption is that everything is integrated and every single system talks to every other system. You know, so. I think through bad experience and, and therefore because of a bad experience comes about cost and this thing is really costly or it's been really, really risky, etc. Mm. But if you pair all that back and you do a bit of a deeper analysis of what's going on here, at the end of the day, it, it, it has evolved like that. It tends to be because A, bad brief, well not as good a brief as it could be, B, you know, just uh, poor coordination, badly implemented, and so forth. And unfortunately, the end result comes across as that you know it didn't work. Mm. Uh, and I think really that there, there's a much greater requirement there to to be you know better coordinated and so forth. And and I think that will then begin to change people's experiences that see projects that have been successful um, coming about. The other thing also is to try not to be overly complicated in this and, and try and get the fundamentals right so you are able to give the base level you know, capabilities there without trying to you know, bite off more than you can chew and create this ultra sophisticated building requiring all these smarts and technologies but you've never done even some of the basics um, of these sort of processes. So um, yeah, build up to it. And so what do you consider to be the, the, the basics, the base level? Of where you, you should be. Well, the base level, yeah, is is there's probably a, a few things there. And the, the base the level would be um, getting a um, an integrated communications network approach. Happening. <laughs> Excuse me. So you've got one common IP network, and and therefore the reason why we're doing that is most building systems are heading towards IP. So if you look at um, CCTV systems, access control, communications with, for example, BACnet over IP, etc. Most building systems are heading towards the use of IP as a means of um, transporting, you know, data throughout the building. So step one is get a coordinated um, network there. Um, building dashboards are becoming really important. So once you begin to bring things together like that, there's a lot of analytical tools and dashboard tools that people are looking for. So Really what we're aiming towards here is better visibility of the performance of a building. So if you can create um, a, a series of systems that are communicating over a you know, common network infrastructure, you're actually able to gather data, store data, and display that data onto a dashboard screen. You're heading towards the fundamentals of creating a smart building because you are creating an environment that enables, enables you to manage the performance of that particular building proactively rather than reactively. So traditionally most buildings are managed reactively, i.e. alarms, bells, things break, building manager knows which number to call. The idea of a smart building is to actually get fundamentals in place so you can monitor real-time performance, so you can see trends happening, you can understand when things are likely to fail, you can see inefficiencies in performance. 
so you can proactively manage it rather than having to reactively manage it the way you traditionally mm. have. So that kind of they're the fundamentals of the approach. Yes, right. I mean, I was saving this for later, but we might as well. We kind of touched on it, right? So I, I mean, I talked about well, this constant commissioning, right? Which again is something I think you've you mentioned there about this uh, proactive uh, rather than reactive approach. Um, how do you, um, and I, and I'm interested in, in how you think we can move towards that, um, because that's where some of the real, um, I mean, if you're trying to sell this kind of technology, that's where you can really, you know, get the ear of, uh, of, you know, the, the, the decision maker, right? If you can say, well, look, we're going to save so much money doing this because we're rolling less trucks, you're using, you're just using your resources so much more effectively. Yes. Well, the I mean, the anecdotal back of an envelope calculation is that you get an ROI, you know, thirty percent reduction in outgoing energy costs and so forth within you know within in eighteen months, um, which is like a great early win. Mm. But how do you then progressively continue to improve upon that? Well, the the mantra is you can't manage what you can't measure. So you need to have that visibility. You need to have the systems there in place to enable you to provide the capabilities to run analysis on the various different building systems to understand how efficiently they're actually performing and understand the influence of other systems and weather patterns and occupant behaviour and occupancy and you know all those types of things need to be sort of seen as a as a total picture um, rather than a system by system you know analysis of it going yes the system's working really well but not seeing that in the broader context of other things that are going on. And I think other industries have been better at, at, at doing this, you know, production lines in factories and and um, um, you know, other 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 types of uh, utilities and so forth. You know, the the, the constantly looking at that. Other industries which tend to be um, higher volume, lower margin, where you can actually get repetitive actions on there. But for whatever reason, buildings tend not to be you know, like that. Um, so they haven't had the sorts of monitoring tools in there um, that have afforded um, building owners or asset portfolio owners an ability to do that. But that's beginning to change. And I think particularly at a portfolio level. Once you begin to connect buildings together, you can actually look for trends. You can actually begin to look across buildings and go, well, in theory, that building should be similar to that building. Why are they different, right? And you've got, for the first time, that comparative analysis capability, which is what some of these software analytical dashboarding tools provide you an ability to do. So right. I think eventually, yeah. things begin to catch up. Yeah, doing this constant commissioning process will, will make a lot more sense, um, you know, uh, and, and get better returns from mm, it. And it's really interesting. Some of the dashboards I've seen where they're comparing, as you said, like different por different properties in their portfolio, and then sort of this kind of element of competition comes in, right? Where you're saying, well, you're the best performing building, especially in, for example, like in retail. Yes. Um, you know. A commercial office building, you're the best performing floor, or a university, you're the best performing dorm, mm. and they call these, you know, in, uh, they call them floor walls, right? Where people actually have a have a pride about kind of or with a, you know the best performing. But interesting, the psychology of this uh, has been that a lot of you know we don't necessarily strive to be the top, but we don't want to be bottom. 
right? So what happens is that you know people who are lined in the bottom is like, all right, what can we do to improve our position here? Improve their position enough to get off the bottom, and then obviously then someone else becomes the bottom, and they got to do something more and so forth. So it's kind of literally the bottom up approach as opposed to people wanting to be number one, you know, top performing. That's just some awesome prize in, in uh, question. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, just to say to everyone out there, um, if you do have some questions for, for Bruce, please type them in, um, and for me as well if, if it comes to that. Uh, Bruce, I wanted to ask you a bit about um, BIM and how you see yes. that playing a role in, well, we've talked about constant commissioning now, but also, you know, it's essentially bringing technology in. Um, and maybe as well, the, I mean, it seems in the UK, I don't know the situation in Australia, but we're moving to level three now. Yeah. Uh, what the difference is there, if that's going to make any difference, and just generally your, your views on that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, BIM sort of got out the gate, a bit of a rough trot, but um, mind you, it's been a 20-odd year journey for those who've been following this topic pretty closely. And, yeah. and uh, it's been, there's a lot of complex paths to, um, to getting there. And, um, and again, you know, bad user experience as well. I think in some cases for some implementations, it's been, a, you know, it's been a hard slog for people to get there and very expensive and slow and so forth. But I think that's, you know, is without fully appreciating the value proposition for the full life cycle of the project. So yes, you know, great at doing design coordination and, and that type of things as well, but the real value proposition comes forward in, in understanding how that same information can be used operationally to help um, understand um, you know, where different uh, building infrastructure actually is located and helping maintain it and understanding performance and visualizing performance using a 3D model as a, uh, as, as a backdrop and, and so forth. So I think, you know, project by project, it's gradually uh, in, in improving, but certainly not at the pace that a lot of people in the industry might have, uh, have hoped for. And um, the, you know, it really is a, a question of uh, persistence uh, required in, in doing this. Um, but I have heard some very interesting stories that's evolving out of this because of the of the difficulty of doing this. Is a lot of this work is being outsourced to other countries um, uh, in Asia and so forth to find a lower cost resource base to be able to do this. But they're getting well. It might be rough to begin with. They're building up an expertise in that area, and and there is a known fear amongst a lot of architects that they could lose out here seriously if suddenly they find that whole documentation capability is completely being outsourced altogether and they've lost control of the design process um, um, is a possibility. Mm. We've got um, a comment here, um, structured open building technology protocol is required to deliver the potential for BIM level 3 and beyond. Yeah. So, so it is kind of baked in it, um, this approach to technology. Yes, and that's and I guess that's been the difficulty in getting to this particular point is is coming up with a um, a, a language and a structure and an economy of parts that that means that we're all calling the same thing the same way, and having schemas around the way of describing building objects and so forth. So again, standards will help this, right? So as standards become uh, more and more pre prevalent, you know, people understand the way they can more easily exchange. The first problem was just exchanging data at an object level, you know, CAD three-dimensional objects, and yep. then the next 
problem was actually describing them. You know, I call the door handle the same as user driver door handle, and we're all, talk, all talking the same thing. Um, and then it's now all about, about the other sorts of attribute tags that can be associated with. Again, we're using a, a common language here when we want to assign attributes related to fire ratings and color and finish and so on and so forth. And again, standards around that. And the same thing's happening in um, um, services engineering. There's a there's a, a standard called Haystack that uh, helps to provide these different tags and, and ways of describing various different engineering services you know, objects as well. So when you're exchanging information, for example, between a, a, a lift system and an HVAC system, for example, you can describe things in similar ways that makes it easier for people to you know, run analytics across them. And, yeah, we did, uh, we did a webinar with those guys last, uh, last year. It's very interesting. Right, excellent. The, the thing I was thought about and interested in is at the moment, and I, I believe this is still, um, still the, the case, right, where let's say you design a building and you have the BIM model. When you get to the point of handing the building over, right, then the, that, that model is basically, lost, well, not lost, but in a sense thrown away. Are we ever going to get to a situation where the, the model lives with the building, right? And we talked about constant commissioning. Where? Yeah. Well, that's absolutely should, and obviously that should be a consideration in design processes, not just for coordination, but also ultimately should be for facilities management um, as well. And particularly in the case of you know hospitals or universities or any kind of um, you know occupied um, uh, building, at the end of the day, that 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 all that data is almost as valuable as the building itself in terms of the efficiency by actually be operated. So I think it will probably be led by those types of asset classes where, you know, things like shopping centers and hospitals and schools and so forth can make more easily, you know, reuse that data as opposed to commercial office buildings which tend to be, you know, can be, you know, built for a investment fund and hand it over to someone else to manage and they've got antiquated systems and don't see the value in that and don't want it and don't know how to deal with it, etc. So I think you'll see certain asset classes come to the fore in terms of the use of that technology and others will begin to drag the chain a bit but eventually we'll realise um, that there are, they should be following suit with these other types of buildings as well. Yeah. What do you think that means for, for example, like retrofitting a building? And actually that's more of a general question. You know, what is the opportunity here for retrofit? Uh, we talk probably mostly oh. about new construction, haven't we? Yes, we have. Um, I think there's an enormous opportunity for, for retrofitting as well. And, and you know, how can you breathe new life into an existing you know, asset? How can you make it perform better? I mean, you know, one of the poster childs of this is the Empire State Building um, in New York um, that was able to retrofit that particular building and introduce triple glazing technologies and all sorts of energy performance things simply because you know it was a it was an economic necessity for them. We we're losing money hand over fist in the you know in a financial crisis. We're, you know how do we bring back people to a building which otherwise was perceived as yes iconic but grossly inefficient in terms of its performance. So the the you know the owners of that particular building had to do go to extraordinary measures to to turn that building around and turn it into something which actually was uh, more attractive to to tenants. Um, and its position in the marketplace beyond just being a uh, landmark uh, tourist attraction that actually had to perform as a commercial office space as well. Mm. So I think also from a sustainability angle, there's a lot more pressure now on you know making reuse of existing buildings and how can you 
uh, effectively uh, repurpose them. And a part of that process will actually be making you know, systems uh, within the buildings uh, more efficient than what they uh, they do. So it's an interesting um, space uh, to, to be in as well, I believe, moving forward. Yeah, good. I might come back to that in a minute. I've just got um, a question here. Uh, what are the major trends in terms of building usage? Um, E.g., is there an opportunity to talk about hot, desk, hot desking and using that to dynamically manage building thermal demand? Yes, uh, and I've spoken about this sort of topic at a number of different um, conferences in the, in, in the past. And, and I mean, typically there's a demarcation line between what's considered to be the, uh, the base building, um, you know, the shell of, of the building, and the tenancies that actually go inside it. But what we're beginning to see is that um, tenants are becoming more and more sophisticated in terms of the requirements they want for these office spaces. And flexibility, efficiency, environmental impact, etc., kind of rising to the top of the sort of things they're looking for. So, what we're seeing is that they are looking for a greater symbiotic relationship between the base building and their own tenancy. So, for example, things such as the resilience of the building in terms of having reliable um, power supply, reliable data communications, having better um, security in the building having more efficient base building lighting, uh, which works better in an after-hours situation, you know, an ability to lower their outgoings, uh, an ability to understand um, who's coming in and out of their building, who's coming into their tenancy, you know, things like that. So um, I think increasingly there's, there's, there's a greater symbiotic relationship that's beginning to occur between two traditionally distinct parts of a building design and, and, and how they work together. Yeah, um, I mean, and and I sort of come back to that retrofit point. Um, how easy is that? Is that is that easy to achieve in um, in that sense, or is it? Are we talking more about new construction buildings here? Well, it, it yeah. My question here is my my answer here is going to be it depends. <laughs> it depends how hard it is to to retrofit that building. I mean, some uh, it's. I mean, you need, despite the perception that a lot of people think that everything could be answered with wireless, it is actually not the case. Right. Um, you do need to have the pathways in order to be able to communicate, you know, systems to be able to communicate effectively and find the ability to, to get communications effectively throughout your building so you can talk more effectively to system endpoints and to head-end equipment and for integrations to be able to more easily occur between systems. But um, look, a lot of asset owners who have not created even a smart building simply start going, all right, I want to stand the performance of my building from an energy performance perspective. So to do that, I just need to do things at the head-end equipment here. I need to tap into the BMS. I need to tap into access control system, for example, and just get data out of at least those systems so I can understand, you know, uh, utilization of the building, consumption of power and water and so forth. And you don't really have to go, you don't have to put even too much um, uh, equipment in the building in order to gather that sort of data. Um, I think you mentioned Tritium there before, and you know that's their business has grown out of this ability to retrofit technology easily into an existing builder building in order to gather data out of legacy proprietary systems and and putting in uh, a piece of middleware in there to help gather that data out of proprietary systems, normalise it, and begin to create databases and dashboards to help people better understand 
the performance of, of, of a building holistically and, um, and so forth. So people are developing solutions to get into these retro, retrofit environments. Yeah, right. Nice, nice topic. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's interesting. Obviously, you you brought up that relationship between you know, let's say the property owner and the uh, the tenant, right? Because I don't, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know what a commercial lease. I mean, it could be anything. I mean, generally, it's relatively short term, isn't it? What, like twenty five years, maybe, or something along those lines. Yeah, that's the reason that's a long list. <laughs> that's long list. Uh, I would fall anyway, but. Um, um, but it's a it's a very interesting process because when on a new building the process that that occurs is you're trying to secure a, typically an anchor tenant to uh, help the commercial viability of the project in the first place. You need an anchor tenant there that says, okay, we're going to have you know X percentage of the building, which basically then de-risks it, which means we know we've got them as a tenant. Mm. But what is on the list of what they want to help sweeten the deal obviously is a very interesting part of the somewhat usually protracted um, contract negotiations that occur in terms of what they want. And uh, what we are beginning to see is that list of stuff they want getting longer and longer uh, in order to help them um, you know, gain efficiencies out of the use of their space and so forth. So it is becoming a negotiating tool which in turn then is starting to get property developers thinking about well, what else can we actually include in our building without offering them everything. Uh, that actually would improve its attractiveness um, to to tenants in the first place. That says, you know, come to this building. It's great because we've got these capabilities and features, mm -hmm. um, uh, but also provides for that tenant the flexibility for them to be able to do the sorts of things they need to do these days to create highly flexible workplace environments that support things such as activity-based working and and so forth. And you know very variable and changing ways of, of working in an office environment. Right, this flexibility, yeah, because we are, yeah. the way we're changing, the way we're working is changing, right? That's right, and and the only certainty we really know now is that things are going to change, right? What we think is, you know, a static model now can change next week or next year and so forth, so how do we how do we anticipate that and, and, and the you know, the, the, the best future-proofing part of it is not saying, well, let's choose a particular piece of future-proof technology, but instead we, we select, we anticipate the fact that things are likely to change. So therefore, how do we accommodate that by making sure we've got capacity in terms of, um, you know, an ability to have networks that accommodate communications uh, more efficiently, or we've got space where future technology can actually go, or right. things like that. So yeah, baking in this kind of the flexibility that you need to to yeah. yeah I mean, you don't necessarily. You know, sometimes it can be just as simply as space for you know. So you don't have to put any technology in there whatsoever, but at least you provision some allowance that says if we need to add more things in, or you know, we've got extra ducts, we've got extra entry points, we've got extra pathways, you know, anticipating that things might change down the track or could change down the track. Mm kind of ties into one of the last things I wanted to ask. Um, we did like a really interesting pod, uh, webinar, sorry, last month about Lee Bream, Energy Star. Yeah. Um, and I know uh, some of the comments that came out of that were, you know, historically that's been used as a PR tool, right, to sell the building. So, yes. okay, well, we're this, we, we've achieved this and therefore, you know, what a great building we have. 
and that's becoming sort of less useful. Um, yes. So could technology replace that, right? Then you see you're selling the building on these aspects as well. So I guess that's one thing I wanted to ask your opinion on that and also um, some other things. Yeah. Well, it, it ties in with a, with a phrase that people are touting around a place called um, green fatigue. Um, uh, there, there are corners that are going, hey, kind of, we've seen there, been there, done that. Um, it's a really hard process or expensive program, um, process. Uh, and in fact, there's a, there's a, uh, do you know Jerry Yultsen? Yeah, that was the guy that we, yep. we spoke to last month, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, Jerry's just written a book on this particular topic, you know, Reinventing Green, I think it's called. Um, and this, you know, sentiment that's beginning to emerge in the industry, this, you know, hunt for rating systems and the hunt for, for green stars and platinum, this, that and the other, you know, is it actually commercially viable is the question when you should be looking at a broader agenda and so forth. And one of the propositions he puts forward in his book is that, you know, is it, can technology actually help us? I mean, you know, the, in the IT industry, there's a lot of algorithms that get used to automatically assess the, you know, assess things. You know, what if buildings were in fact smarter and had better technology in them? That actually, we can do instant analysis to understand mm. um, their uh, performance more easily um, than you know going through a whole very prescriptive, slow, manual process in order to ascertain, you know, are we there yet, or is our building actually performing? Um, the way we said it would, and having to go back and, can, and continuously manually prove that you've achieved and/or maintaining that particular standard. Um, you know, one of his premises is, that in, in fact, that if you've got the right technology in a building, you should be able to do that automatically. And if you can do that automatically, therefore, achieve that at a lower cost. Right. Yeah. I think one of, the, for me, one of the most compelling things he said was sort of about the growth in like how many lead rated buildings there are. So essentially it's not fit for purpose because it's trying to reduce CO2 emissions and it's got to a point where there aren't that many more being created. So it's just scratching yeah. the surface. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, you know, to it initially start out when it was happening is as a competitive differentiator, right? So you were the first, you know, five star, six star green rating on the first platinum, rated building of this particular type, et cetera. And a real, it was a real marketing pitch. It was a real something absolutely differentiating. But, you know, get behind the scenes that there were obviously people who were genuinely behind it that want to achieve all sorts of other things as well, which is fantastic, of course. But I think people who weren't in that whole ethos or used to doing things in that particular way, when they became exposed to the processes and, you know, required to achieve this, were just aghast at how complex it, you know, uh, it, it potentially was to achieve this without the right sort of skill set and personnel. I mean, the same thing we're talking about now with smart buildings, like, well, who, who does that? So the same thing happened in environmental sciences. Who, who is it that rates buildings like that? So uh, a whole new skill set had to be you know, brought about in the industry and specialist consultants who could help achieve yeah. those targets for consultants. So it was unfamiliar territory for people. I think there's been a bit of fatigue that's come out as a result of, of going down that path when they weren't mentally prepared for it. <laughs> Yeah. Had a, a question come in. I'll ask you that. Um, and also just to everyone else, um, we're coming to the end now. So um, if you do have something you wanted to ask, now's the time. Uh, Bruce, is smart the new green? Um, so as we are aware now of greenwashing, do we need to be aware of smart washing? 
Um, yes, potentially, yeah, absolutely. I mean, eventually, I think a lot of these things will become normal, and 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 as one does, of course, I I, I thought long and hard about what to call the title of my book. Um, and people have used various different terms to describe the use of technology and intelligence and so forth. I, personally, I just felt that the term smart was just about, as a more accessible term for people, more recognisable, that just meant really sort of raising the bar on what otherwise you would normally do and makes you think a little bit more about it. Um, uh, yes, of course, I think there might be a danger of, of this being overused and, and so forth, but you've got to kind of start somewhere to start the conversation, and I think I yeah. use the term really to start the conversation with, with people around how to improve things. I think eventually a lot of this will become business as usual. Again, that's, that's, that's one of the things that, that Jerry Yeltsin in his book is a problem as well. Really, we should be reaching a, a point of maturity at, at some stage where we go about designing buildings sustainably as a matter of course, not necessarily thinking this is something that should be, you know, an abnormal or different or, you know, marketable point of difference. It should be just the way you do it. And I think eventually technology will mature to that um, point as well. And maybe we don't have to keep on using this word smart is because we'll just, you know, talk about various different features of a building. I don't like using technology for technology's sake. It has to support a you know a business um, outcome at the end of the day. Yeah, and I, th um, and I think you get that across in because obviously the second part to the title is better experiences, and that's yeah, that's the key, right? That's that's why we're doing that's it. That's the key. That's the key. And and no matter who you are, I mean, you know, I'm a guy trying to run this building, and I'm given no tools. I'm just given a list of phone numbers to call, and when that red light goes on. You know, that's not a great user experience and that doesn't result in a great user experience for an occupant of the building either is because they ring up and complain about something. It's like, mate, I don't know. All I know is we're onto it and I've called the technician and they're on their way, right? There's no insight there. There's nothing smart about it and everyone's having a bad experience. So, you know, you're right. The better experience part of it is about looking at value propositions for a range of stakeholders and what, what would be an improved thing for them that says, you know what, this is a great building. We've got a great relationship with the person running it. Mm. There's transparency about what's going on. You know, I can easily get in and out. I can understand where ex, you know our, our costs are going. I understand you know where people are and what's happening. How to be more efficient in the spatialization. I think you just want to think about. It. You just love the place and not want to leave. <coughs> yeah, I think that's really the objective of what a lot of developers would like to see in having you know sticky tenants and uh, and so forth in, in in place and happy customers at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And buildings that are fit for purpose, that do the job yeah, that, they're, right. that they're designed or were originally designed to do. And obviously that's where the constant commissioning comes in, right? So that you, we don't just throw away or stop thinking about buildings when, when they're handed over, constantly trying to improve them and make them better. Think, think beyond the defect liability period. Yeah, absolutely. Bruce, if they, I mean, obviously I got the, the book up here um, and the link to that, where if they want more information about what you're doing with Meld and where can they go and find that? Well, you can go to our website, which is uh, meldstrategies.com. Um, you can go to my own personal website, which is brucedysart.com. And uh, on the personal website, I've got a links there to a range of different, you know, presentations I've done in the past. You know, links to the book. It'll be coming out as an ebook soon. Um, you know, any ticket o'clock. Um, and um, 
um, you know, just you know, drop me a, drop me a, an email, Bruce at, um, at meldstrategies.com or Bruce at brucedicehart.com. Either way, uh, will get to me. And uh, yeah, happy to have the uh, the, the conversation. And um, it's, I mean, the reason I wrote the book is understand that it's a, this can be a bit of a complex, scary place for a lot of people, and and it's difficult getting going. And 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 quite often the difficulty in the conversation is. Is how do I get started in this? So uh, that was the intent of the book: is to help people get started understanding some of the basic, you know, concepts and things they need to know just to get the thought processes going. Yeah, great. And I just put up a slide here as well. We've um, published a new report last week uh, about the market for building performance software. So that's looking across. You know, we identified some kind of sixteen different types of software that are going into buildings at the moment and they're quite distinct you know managing different different bits of technology or you know some for different purposes but basically about trying to make the performance of the building better so it's really a look at that and the landscape and what we think the opportunity is there um and how we think the iot can bring all this all this together and obviously that's what we talked about uh so yeah it just really remains for me to say thanks to bruce really appreciate you taking uh taking some time to talk to us no, no problems at all. It's a pleasure to talk to you all. Good. And also to uh, Tridium, our sponsor. Thanks for thanks for, for you know sponsoring this year's Smart Building series. Uh, and also to um, everyone out there, we I will be or this has been recorded and I'll be publishing that on the website later today. Uh, yeah, and if you obviously have any questions, you can. Uh, uh, go to our website, memory.com, and um, there's all of our contact details there. So, yeah, thanks, Bruce, and have a great evening. Thanks, Jim. Cheers. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you.